Yeah, God, we, we come before you this morning, uh, coming from all different places here this morning, geographically speaking and even spiritually speaking. And God, we've gathered together this morning, Lord, I, I'm just convinced every single person is here for a very specific reason. And God, I think that that specific reason, generally speaking, is that you have a message to share with each one of us. So God, help us to listen. Help us to be hearing. God, as I'm sharing what I feel like you've shown me here this week as I've been looking at the book of Jude and some thoughts that I think are just really important for each one of us wherever we're at in our spiritual life. God, I pray that each one of us would have a heart to hear. And that we would walk away understand something new or understand something better be a little bit closer to you. Just ask that you bless our time that you would be speaking through your spirit this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Alright, so we're kind of starting a new series here. You can see on the screen. Jude. I thought about calling the series Hey Jude, but then everyone would be singing a Beatles song and we wouldn't want that. Because that's the song that like goes on and on and it'd just be looping in your mind. So we don't want to do that. So it's just called Jude. And it's really, it really not even a series. It's just two weeks. And the way we, Rich and I sort of tackled this was we just said, look, Jude is just a real short book. It's about 20-some verses. And each one of us are just going to read it. And then he's sharing his thoughts and what God showed him through it this week at the Parker location. I'm showing him here. Next week we're going to switch. So next week you will hear from Rich. And for all I know, God will have said exactly the same thing to both of us. <laughs> And we'll both be sharing the same thing, so you get a repeat next week. Um, or it'll be something completely different, or a little different bent. Uh, we'll definitely get uh, some richisms, you know, next week. And we'll get some Gregisms down there in Parker, I guess. So, anyway, that's our series. So I just thought I'd just give just a real quick overview. Obviously, Jude is a book of the Bible. It's the next to last in sequence, uh, right before Revelation. Uh, it was written by, who was it written by? Jude, obviously, that's the name. And uh, who was Jude? Well, he tells us right there at the beginning of the book, he says, I am a brother of James. Well, that's nice. Well, who was James? Well, James was an apostle. And James was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. But, what else do we know about James? He was the brother of Jesus. So, uh, you know, I think... At this day and age, they did not have the terminology, brother from a different mother. <laughs> right? So when he said, I was, I'm James's brother, that means, by extension, the brother of my brother is either me or my brother. Right? And so Jesus is also Jude's brother. And I just think it's really cool that there's a humility that he says, I've got this message to share with you. He doesn't say, and I'm Jesus' brother, so you better listen to me. He says, oh yeah, I know James, he's my brother. That's kind of cool. So, why was the book written? Well, he says it also very clearly in verse 3. He says, I was very eager to write to you about salvation. So he really wanted to share the gospel. He really wanted to share the good news. And yet, because of what was going on in the place that he was writing to, he really needed to talk about people who were perverting the gospel. And sort of he wanted to warn them and warn us. And 
so that really becomes the point of the letter. While he wanted to talk about the gospel, they needed to give some warning so that people could be aware that people were not talking about the gospel specifically. So, I've got some slides here. We'll go through these. Yeah, we better start with the gospel. I know we've all come here from different places and different times, and uh, a lot of you know I, I really like to, to ring the bell of the gospel. I sat in a meeting this week with a number of pastors from around uh, sort of our region of churches here, and we were talking about suffering as Christians. So if you think your job is bad, why don't you try sitting in a room and talking about suffering for three hours? <laughs> No, it was good. It was an encouraging time. But one of the things we talked about, one thing that was mentioned was um, John Meyer, our regional director, he said, what do you want the people in your church, if, if it comes, as, as the screws get tightened in our culture and our world and it becomes more and more difficult and challenging to stand up and, and believe, what is it that you want people in your church to have a solid hold on? My answer is the gospel. I, I want each one of you to have a hold on the gospel because I think that is the most important thing the Bible has to offer. So I'm going to keep ringing that bell, and if you get tired of it, well, I'm sorry. But that's what we're going to do, and I, I just want everybody to really just get a hold of what this is. So you've, you've seen this before, if you've been here before, and hopefully you got something to take away. So what is the gospel? Speaking from essence. Okay, so the gospel has two parts to it, really. The first one is truth. And truth, like it says here on the screen, is the truth is that I am more sinful than I ever imagined. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, and that includes me, that includes you. Each one of us has sinned, and it's broken. And as we begin to understand the nature of sin, we understand that really, while sin is the issue, what's really going on is that in my life and in my heart, I'm broken. Each one of us is broken. Each one of us is coming from a place where we have brokenness. And sin, in many ways, is really our response to that brokenness. We make a choice to respond to brokenness. Someone has said, uh, sin is a way of trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And so that's kind of what sin is. And as we begin to realize that, we go, man, I really am sinful. I really am broken. Wow, more than I ever, maybe ever thought I was. And so that's the truth. The truth is that I'm sinful. But the other side of it is that there's grace. God's given us grace. And the grace is that I am loved and forgiven more than I deserve. I love that the very next verse from Romans says, All are justified freely by His grace. Freely by His grace. And grace can be defined as unmerited favor. Unmerited merited favor. Freely by his unmerited favor. That means he gives us favor that has nothing to do with any sort of merit-based system. There's no sort of gold stars on God's chart that I've got to sort of stick, get stuck up there so I can get God's favor. It's unmerited. John 3.16 tells us it's free. It's for those who believe. It's not for those who deserve it. For those who believe, but none of us deserve it because truth tells us I'm more sinful than I ever imagined. So then what is the essence of the gospel? The essence of gospel is holding on to both grace and truth. And so we have this diagram that I've shown before, like those of you who maybe you're new, my 
background is in architecture, and I like to do little sketches like this. And this is this little diagram I drew many years ago, and it really helps me understand that the gospel is not sort of one side or the other, but it's really kind of holding on to the two things and sort of walking in balance between those two things. And this is what the Bible teaches. Go throughout, I believe, even go to the Old Testament, the Bible is laying the groundwork for the gospel. And then Jesus teaches the Gospels, and the apostles, the disciples, they reinforce the Gospel. And here we are in Jude, and Jude is reinforcing this good news. And so that's what our church holds, holds on to. So, remember we are talking about Jude, and he says, okay, I want to talk to you about the Gospel, but there's some problems. I want to point these out to you. He says, I want you to bolo. Does anybody know what bolo is? I didn't either. I thought it was a guy. It turns out it stands for be on the lookout. You ever see those? When I was in college. It was the first time I encountered this. I don't know who this guy is. I just thought this was a funny sort of police sketch, right? But the police, some, some incident on campus, and they didn't know who the guy was, and they said, Bolo! Like, why they couldn't write be on the lookout for? I don't know. But it was Bolo, and then the picture of the guy, you know, white male, six foot four, whatever. He hoped he didn't look like you or had a bad mustache like this guy. Anyway, so Jude tells us to bolo, to be on the lookout. What are we supposed to be on the lookout for? What should we be looking out for? He says, those who twist the gospel. Now, I'm not going to put the whole passage of Jude up on the screen, so if you've got a Bible or you've got it on your device, definitely open it up and just be on one page because it's just 20 verses. You can follow along and catch these verses as you go. But verse 4 says, Who are these people who twist the gospel? Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. And so how do they do that? Well, he says there in verse 18, The last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So who are these people? Who are these people? How do they twist the gospel? Well, they follow their own ungodly passions and twist the grace of God. Remember, we talked about grace and more love than I ever imagined. Now, I think there's, there's two kind of ways, right? When we have the gospel, we're walking down the middle, there's really two ways people can, can mess with the gospel. One, they can kind of go onto the truth side, and you end up with religiosity. You end up with people who set up Rules and regulations and say, you've got to follow by these, right? They're rule makers. But then on the other side, there's people I call the fun lovers. They go, oh, you can just kind of have sin. Your grace forgives you. You can just kind of have all the quote-unquote fun that you want to have. Problem is what happens. In verse 19, it says they cause division. You think, oh, we just kind of go over here and have fun. We're going to... Sort of, yeah, we'll just sort of live in grace and not worry about truth. It's just going to be fun, but it causes division in the church, right? So I think these people that he's talking about are not people who are promoting hardcore evil, right? Because I think when we really think about hardcore evil and when something that's just absolutely blatantly, utterly evil that happens, it actually brings us together, right? Think of September 11, 2001. What happened the next day? You had Democrats and Republicans standing on the Capitol steps singing God Bless America, right? In the face of hardcore evil, it brought people together. And so I don't think these fun lovers, so to speak, were intent on, ah, oh, I just want to destroy. 
No, they're twisting it. They're twisting it. And so Jude tells us, look, you know, it's easy to spot hardcore evil. You've got to be on the lookout. You've got to bolo. For those people who are just trying to twist it just enough. And sometimes that twisting comes in the form of lax Christian living, doesn't it? What do I mean by that? So, if you ever hear somebody say, eh, you don't have to tithe, well, that's true, right? It is actually true that you don't have to tithe. We are under grace, not under law. We could probably make arguments about, oh, the tithe is an Old Testament thing and whatever, but what is the principle? The principle is all of your money belongs to God, and so there's an, expect well, an expectation, a desire, a goal, faith for you to live in such a way that you are giving. A lot of times a tithe, 10% of your income is a, is a really good benchmark to live by. But those people who say, you don't have to tithe, then if you looked at their life, most of the time you're going to find they don't give anything. And so they're using that grace as an excuse to not live righteously. Or they'll say, you don't have to go to church every week. Well, that's true, right? Grace tells us we don't have to do that. We aren't living under a set of laws, a set of rules. And grace tells us you don't have to go to church every week. But again, in the same way, that most of those folks who say that probably never go to church. And so they use grace as an excuse to live in a lax sort of way. Not in a gospel-centered way. So, that being said, who else? You've got these people who we should bolo. Who else? Well, you and me. Because we can become these people. We can begin to start saying, hey, I don't need to live in the gospel, I can just sort of live in grace. I can live in such a way that, eh, these things don't really matter, and I don't really need to have spiritual disciplines, and begin to forget that there's sin. We'll talk about that more as we go here. But the next question then we have to ask is, okay, if I'm going to be potentially one of these people and I don't want to be one of those people, how do I avoid being a gospel twister? How do I live in such a way that I'm walking in the middle of the gospel? Well, Jude tells us, live by faith. Live by faith. Now, something we've been talking about uh, as leadership and as pastors in this church is the idea of faith versus faithfulness. And faith is really stepping out and obeying God and trusting God in spite of what's going on. And faithfulness, well, I think we all kind of know what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is doing something that's expected or asked of you and doing it uh, all the time, consistently. And we can act in faith, and faithfulness can be the fruit of that faith, but we can be faithful and not be in faith. We can go out and just do push-ups. We can do them faithfully, but we're not doing them in faith. So we can sort of counterfeit faithfulness for faith. And so we just have to be careful here that we kind of twist the gospel when we start doing things faithfully and start ignoring the faith. We've twisted it. We're not living in light of grace and truth. And Jude gives us some other action steps here as we talk about living in faith, some things that we can do that will help us, practically speaking, not twist the gospel. One of those is building others up. He says it in verse 20, building yourselves up in most holy faith. 
building yourselves up in the most holy faith. And that is why the firehouse is here. Right? That's really the reason why we're here. There's, there's all kinds of good stuff going on in the world. Great causes, social justice. It's all really good, and we'll participate in that from time to time in those things. But why are we here? Why are we really here? At the end of the day, it's so we can build each other up. So we can build each other up and fulfill this. We can build people in their faith. Brad mentioned earlier about gospel groups. Gospel groups serve a variety of purposes, but one of those main purposes is so that each one of you can get together in a group of people and have your faith built up. What's another action step that Jude gives us? It says praying. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying is just simply talking to God. And we have a prayer emphasis here at this church. Sometimes I think we can have more of a prayer emphasis at the church, and we may go through those seasons. Each gospel group has an element of prayer. It's part of it. Our inspired time, our leaders get together, probably 50% of the time we spend together is praying. As pastors, every time we meet, we're praying. We're praying for you guys. We're praying for this church. Prayer is part of what we're doing. It's an action step Jude gives us so that we don't twist the gospel. It keeps us focused. And then, speaking of keeping focused, he tells us that we should play the long game. Well, what is the long game? It's eternity. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We get so caught up day to day in the moment, the flash of the moment. Oh, I'm so, i got to watch that Netflix show. And we forget sometimes that it's just this tiny moment is our life and then eternity goes on. That's what God has called us to do is to live towards eternity. Like I said, we... At that meeting, we talked about suffering, and one thing that really stands out to me is that as Christians, we kind of, in some ways, call to run towards suffering. Because we know that in eternity, there won't be that suffering. And that suffering is going to accomplish great good in this life on behalf of other people. So, that being said, if we can look eternally, we can keep our focus on the long game, we can be waiting on the mercy that leads to eternal life. When we do that, we avoid getting the tunnel vision, that myopia of the now. So those are some things we can do to avoid being a gospel twister ourselves, but how about other people? And Jude gives us some recommendations for how we can treat other people. Well, if we're going to walk in the gospel, and we've got other people who are not really living in faith or wavering in their faith, how should we treat them? With both grace and truth. If we're going to live in the gospel, we've got to treat them both graciously and truthfully. He says this, he says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments and of the flesh. See, we're called to show mercy. But we're also called to point out sin. So let's talk about those two things. We've got mercy and we've got sin. What happens if we only focus on sin? We go out and we say, I'm going to really point out sin. But what we do is we end up, remember our balance? We end up kind of going over here on the truth side and we set up works righteousness. We say, ah, I'm better than you because you're committing these sins. And I'm not, or at least I pretend like I'm not. 
And we start using guilt and shame as a way to motivate and change other people. We use it as like a club. You committed that sin. And we bludgeon people with that. But what's the fruit? If you look at at environments, at churches, at, at communities that live in works righteousness, that set up rules and and values by which people need to live, it doesn't seem like it's really working. The fruit is that people are still sinful. If the whole goal is to, ah, we're not going to be sinful anymore, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. A lot of times their sin gets deeper and just becomes more secretive. And what happens if we go to the other side? That Jude is talking about. What happens if we focus only on grace? We forget about truth and we just focus on grace. Well, the problem is, like I said earlier, sin comes from brokenness. And so if we pretend like sin isn't sin, we're pretending like brokenness isn't there either. How do we help someone if we can't address the real need that they have in their heart because the outflow of that to say isn't a problem? And so I think that there's churches and there's a number and there's some not too far from us that promote this kind of doctrine of grace only. And I think they can be really exciting. And so somebody who's a sinner, or somebody who's caught in sin and a lifestyle, and they're struggling, and, and but it's really not that lifestyle, it's this brokenness in their heart. They come to this church, or they come to this group, and the people say, it's okay that you're that way. That's not really a problem. God loves you. God saves you. God is gracious. Sometimes those churches even say, yeah, there's not even a hell or a punishment. Well, that can be really exciting and really comforting for somebody for a little while. But at some point, that brokenness that's in their heart is still broken and it's not being addressed. And so those churches will typically fade because they're not really helping people with issues. And so what is our goal? How should we treat others who are living, not living in faith? But well, we want to help Right where you're at, the way Jesus did. And how did Jesus do it? He did it by bringing grace into truth. John 1 tells us, Moses brought the law, Jesus brought us grace and truth. See, Jesus, if you really start to examine his life, you look at what he focused on. His focus was on renewing people. It wasn't on sin. Think about the story of the woman at the well. If you're familiar with this from, from John, the book of John, he talks about the woman's sin. He points out to her, yeah, you've had a whole series of adulterous relationships, including the one you're in now. But that's not the focus. His focus is her heart, her spirit, her relationship with him, renewing her. And that's where there's success in that story. Think about Jesus. He went and he ate with sinners. He didn't eat with the sinners and say, yeah, your sin's good. It's all good. It's not really sin. He said, wow, it is sin, but I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to sit with you. I care about your heart. And that's where we want to be as a church. And so I think it's also important to note here that as Jude is talking about this, there's a line here, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I think what Jude is warning of us about is that we got to just be cautious when it comes to sin. 
shouldn't stiff-arm people who are in sin. Because then we're really stiff-arming ourselves, right? And I think there's some ways we do this. One is we just have accountability. We do things as a group. I think the idea here that Jude is talking about is if somebody is in sin and you sort of go to them in a vulnerable way or in some way that that sin is something maybe you struggle with too, you can be polluted by that because you can sort of be drawn into that. So we do things in a group. We do things with accountability. We know our own weaknesses and our temptations. And yet we walk into that not by sight, but by faith. Walk into it by faith. We don't ever sacrifice love for somebody on behalf of caution over whatever sin person is in. So, how do we live this out at the firehouse? We aim to live this way at the firehouse church. Well, I love this verse, verse 22 save others by snatching them out of the fire. I get asked this question, I was even asked this question this morning about. How does this church get the name, right? It's like, wasn't this an old fire station? <laughs> no, this building was not a fire station, but I'm really honored by that. I was very involved in the design and the construction of this building. We were the firehouse church long before we were in this building. And I trust God will be the firehouse church long after we were in this building. And so in some ways, I guess the architecture really mimics who we are as a church. But why are we the firehouse? Well, there's a number of verses, and this is one of them. It's exactly what a fireman does. Snatch someone from the fire. And so that's what we do as a church. This is part of what we're about, is helping people within the gospel, holding on to grace and truth. Helping people find renewal the way Jesus found renewal. Now you may have noticed here the background slide for this is a big stack of junked cars. You might have been saying, why is there a big stack of junked cars? Well, it's not without purpose, even though I think it's a cool-looking picture. It's not without purpose, and it's because we have what I call the junked car analogy. Each one of us is a junked car. Amen? Each one of us is broken. That's the nature of the, the human condition and fallenness. Sin. Each one of us is a junked, broken car. We're stacked up, and where are these cars? It doesn't look like they're headed for renewal, does it? They're headed for the fire. Headed to be melted down and sold to scrap metal and sent to Japan or something, right? And that's where each one of us is headed for that. But as Jude tells us, our goal is to snatch from the fire. Well, how do we do that? Well, I think to answer how we do that, we have to also answer how not to do that. So in this analogy, the junked car analogy, what is the truth without grace way? Remember our diagram? We have grace and we have truth. You go over here and say, I'm going to ignore grace and just have truth. What do we say to somebody who has the junk, somebody's junked car? You say, you need to repair your car. Your car is broken and junky and you have got to fix it. So here's the rules Here's what you do. See, just like how I've done. And we know that doesn't work. So then there's the other side, the grace without truth way that I think Jude is really warning us about. What is the grace without truth way? It says, your car doesn't need repair. Your car is good. <laughs> we'll just pretend like you can drive one of these things down the road. <laughs> the engine 
runs, or it doesn't have an engine. We'll just pretend like it has an engine. And again, like we said, that doesn't help. It doesn't help to pretend like your car isn't junked. Your car is still junked. So what does the gospel tell us? It's the grace and truth way. Hold on to both of those things, and what does it say? It says your car is junked. But Jesus can repair it. Your car is junked, but Jesus can repair it. Firehouse Church can't repair it. Greg and Brad, we can't repair your car, but Jesus can. And he's put us here to help you. Because that's what Jesus came for, was to renew us. And so we want to help you. We want to help others, people who come through the door, people we meet. You have coworkers, you have family, you have friends, you have visitors. We want to help you walk in grace, loving as Christ loves us and in truth. Which is, yeah, we recognize that there's sinfulness and there's brokenness. And so at this church, we're not going to promote sin or lax living under the guise of grace. We're not going to say, yeah, it's all good. Because it's not all good. And that doesn't help you if we say that it's all good. And yet at the same time, we're not going to set up works righteousness and focus on your sin as a doing right and wrong and you've got to repair your car here and here's the things you've got to do to repair your car. Instead, we want to walk with Jesus to see each one of you renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that renewal is there. And many of us who are here can testify that that's what God has done. So let's pray. God, I thank you for the gospel. God, I think about all of the different worldviews and all of the different religions and all of the different ways people try to cope with the fact that they're junked cars. sent your son Jesus you spoke to the prophets you continued it by the spirit through the disciples you showed us that there's a better way which is grace and truth we recognize that we're sinful and that we're broken and that we have problems and that our car is junked and yet you've offered to repair it by unmerited favor freely given us a gift. All we have to do is receive it. You can begin to help us walk out of that brokenness. We can begin repairing the junked car that's destined for the flames. We can be snatched from that fire and we can go forward. Eventually be in eternity with you. Thank you for offering that to us. us as a church, as individuals, to hold on to this truth of the gospel, to cling to it. In the midst of anything else going on in our world and our lives, help us to know this, to hold it, to speak it to others. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, taking the punishment that's due to us, and giving us your Holy Spirit us, to guide us. Lord, help each one of us here today, each person, to walk in faith with you.